The views and opinions expressed in this program are solely those of the program's contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the University of Alabama. Thank you for listening to Bless Our Hearts Alabama Quilt Backstories. I'm one of the hosts, and my name is Kevin. And I'm Lizzie. Bless Our Hearts is a podcast about LGBTQIA plus folks living in Alabama and their stories. In this episode, we're talking with JK, who's going to tell us about growing up queer in the Bible Belt, their high school first gay straight alliance, and what it's like to be both gay and trans in the South. So we are here with JK. Hi. So starting off with our interview with JK for Bless Our Hearts, Alabama Quilt Bag Stories. JK, would you just tell us about yourself? Okay. Um, I'm JK. I'm 21. I'm from Fairhope, Alabama. Uh, I'm currently a senior at the University of Alabama studying English, so I'm going to be unemployed. (laughs) those Those are my career plans. Okay, cool. If you could just tell us what you came in to talk about today. Okay, so we're here to talk about being LGBT in the South, which I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I grew up in Fairhope, but I was born in Mobile, and my family did like a fun little triangle move of going to Mobile, Daphne, Fairhope. My family is weird in that they're a little bit more liberal than you expect people to be in the South. Mm -hmm. Um, That does not mean that I did not have my struggles um, growing up in the very, very deep south in the Bible Belt. Mm -hmm. Um, The area that I'm in is very, very religious. We did, like, prayers in school and stuff, and I went to a public school, so that was fun. Um, (laughs) My family has has always been pretty supportive, but the community... The community has been okay, but it's still the South. And I remember like the the one of the groundbreaking things that happened for me was my senior year of high school. I decided I had known this girl um, a few a few years back in like my sophomore year or something who had been trying to start an LGBT club at our high school and didn't get anywhere with it. So I was like, you know what? This is my senior year. I'm gonna do something about that. And so I went around getting together with teachers and stuff, and I finally found somebody who was willing to work with me and who actually is a gay man who is who had to ex, exp, had had a fun time explaining to a bunch of Southern teenagers why he changed his last name. Um, <laughs> we got together and started that, and it got off to a bit of a rough start. It was interesting because the the principal of the school was really, really cool, and he was really supportive. But as soon as we made, like, an announcement on the on the announcements in the morning, mm-hmm. they had, like, parents calling in being like, <laughs> um, and we still went ahead with it, and it ended up, ha- ended up having, like, a 20-people turnout at our first meeting, awesome. which was really, really cool. And I think that was the first time that I'd ever been around that many queer people before in my life, <laughs> just to show you how sheltered I was. But apparently that, I don't know if it's the same exact club, but apparently something like that is still going on in my high school today, which is great. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So 
as a now you're so from a senior in high school yeah to a senior in college um how can you talk speak a little bit to how your experience has been kind of going from starting uh high school i'm just going to call it a gay straight alliance yeah um to being a college student at an alabama um, college it's weird in that my experiences have like the way i've identified and the way that i've has changed a lot, but has been really, really cyclical. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That's... <laughs> but um, there's been a lot of a lot of identity road bumps, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. along the way. But it's it's weird to to feel like I'm still kind of... I don't know. I've gone through so many identity changes in the past few years... But for some reason, right now is, like, the closest that I've been to where I was then. Okay. Yeah. So I think that especially if we're if we're thinking about people listening to this who are new to exploring an LGBTQ identity mm-hmm. um, or are new to kind of their coming out process, I feel like there's a lot of pressure for folks to figure out what their identity is yeah. at the beginning of, like, that process and then stick with it. So for have. Listening to you kind of talk about how your kind of self-discovery process has been cyclical mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of change. Could you speak to that a little bit? Well, I've I've honestly found a lot of power and ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of pressure both from the non-LGBT world and inside the community mm-hmm. to come out with that identity, stick to that identity. Um, and I think it's just it's just basic. People just want you. People don't like people to change but I my identity changes have been like waves (laughs) and so I've I've tried to be I've tried to not be so fast to define myself which not saying that I don't find comfort in labels but at the same time I I do find power and ambiguity Mm -hmm. um I think that there's so much nuance in human sexuality and human gender that sometimes you sometimes you can't really say oh I'm this exact thing Mm -hmm. and I feel like I feel like LGBT spaces spaces need to embrace that a little bit more yeah could you tell us a little bit about uh so you're specifically talking about LGBTQ spaces like needing to embrace this idea of ambiguity yeah can you talk a little bit about the significance of having those spaces in a state like Alabama? Yeah. So, like I said earlier, like, when I had that club in high school, that was the first time that I'd had that many queer people around me. Mm-hmm. I think the second time I ever experienced that was the first Spectrum meeting that I ever went to. And I was like, oh, my God, there's this many people. <laughs> and I think my freshman year was the first year that Safe Zone Lounge was there. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's anytime I'm just on campus and I'm just feeling uh, about everything. Mm -hmm. Whenever I go to the lounge, it's immediately like a mood picker upper because it's (laughs) just like a bunch of people who don't care. They get the same jokes as me. They get (laughs) it's it's really nice to have those spaces. I don't know how to get any deeper than it's it just is really, really comforting to see people that are like you Mm -hmm. all around you yeah what do you do when you go into the lounge like how much time do you usually spend in there and what Um, do you do just talk or 
I'd say like maybe an hour, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I go, in there, I, I can never go in there with the goal of getting homework done. I'm sure there are people that can get homework done there, but I am too distractible. <laughs> um, and I like to talk to people. Yeah, I just, I'll go in, I'll hang out, I'll eat food. Well, as the uh, person over this lounge that we're talking about, okay. do you want to tell people how they can get there? Sure. So the Safe Zone Student Lounge is right next door to my office that's in the Ferguson Center. So Safe Zone is comprised of two rooms. It's 2419 Ferguson and 2418 Ferguson. My office is open when I'm there, which is usually Monday through Thursday in the afternoons. But the Student Lounge is open anytime the Ferguson Center is open. So it's, I think, open from like 7 a.m. till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And there's a lot of stuff to do in there, which is why JK can't get anything done. Yeah. Uh, Because we've got uh, TV and video games and coloring books and nail polish and, yeah, just all kinds of stuff. And it is usually full of people who also have trouble concentrating on things. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) there's always something lively happening in that space. Do you have anything else you wanted to tell us about while you're here? Yeah, I think I'd like to talk about the intersection of being gay and trans in the South, because that's a very specific experience Cool. Um, that you don't hear a lot, hear about a lot. So I first figured out that, that I was not cis when I was about 15, mm-hmm. and I've gone do a lot of different labels, but right now I just stick to non-binary. That's the thing that I like. There's like this push to be... And this is true for everywhere. But there's this push to be, you know, the girl you were born to be and the mm-hmm. or the boy that you were born to be, especially in the South. And like that was a a really big struggle for me trying to figure out like, okay, how do I how do I present in a way that's gonna make me happy and comfortable, but also not draw eyes that I don't want. Mm-hmm. Um and I also did dance when I was little. I did color guard in high school. And I don't know, I I think that having grown up in the South and grown up with such strict gender roles, Mm -hmm. I think that hindered me from kind of getting to where I am today, identity wise. Just for anybody that might listen to this who doesn't know, how would you define non-binary? It falls under the umbrella of transgender. It's basic, It's identifying as a gender that is not within, you know, the man-woman gender binary. Mm-hmm. Although there are nine non-binary people that partially identify as one or both of those things. But, yeah, it's just a way for people to say, I'm not strictly a man or a woman. So if you could, could you talk a little bit more? You said that there's a lot of pressure to perform specifically in a way that makes people feel comfortable. Yeah. That allows people to to view you as you said, uh, for instance, you said like the girl or the woman that you were born to be. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what that pressure looked like for you? A lot of it was wearing makeup that I didn't want to be wearing, wearing dresses that I didn't want to be wearing. It's weird. There's this this dude that I was friends with um, through, like, all of middle school. We weren't really that close in high school, but he came out as trans after we graduated. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to look back at, like, our, our yearbook photos are, like, right 
mine's right above his mm-hmm. and he's in like the the pearls and the drape thing <laughs> and i had decided that year that i was going to wear a tux <laughs> so i got to wear a tux in in my yearbook photo and then uh-huh. by the time graduation rolled around he he'd come out and so he came to graduation in a suit and i had reversed <laughs> i was wearing like this big sparkly dress and my hair and my makeup all done but it definitely especially like doing color guard and doing dance and all those sort of things there was that extra pressure to be graceful mm-hmm. and like our color guard instructor my mother people were fine with me cutting my hair when i did but at the same time they were, they were like you can cut your hair but you still have to adhere to some sort of femininity mm-hmm. it's something that i that, something that i still like struggle with today is finding like this finding like my footing like where i stand on like the femininity masculinity scale or whatever mm-hmm. um i'm i'm still trying to learn to be comfortable in the femininity that i do have just because i don't want to be perceived as cis mm-hmm. but i do still identify with that femininity to a certain Mm -hmm. extent. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I know that one thing that frustrated me being kind of a a queer woman in the South is like I wear my hair really, like I like to wear my hair Mm -hmm. short. And it's longer now than it usually is, but I like to wear my hair short. And when I moved to Alabama, it was longer. And the first time I wanted to cut it all back off I, it took me maybe a year to find a person who would cut my hair the way I wanted them to. Yeah. And the thing that would happen every time I would go in, I would describe what I wanted and I would show them a picture and they would look at it. And they'd be like, okay, we'll do something like that, but we're going to change this and just this because we still want you to look feminine. Yeah. We don't want you to look too masculine. And the whole time I'm sitting in the chair and I'm just like, that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I picked this hairstyle. And, and so, yeah, I feel like there's, there's there's a lot of that, and maybe people don't always think about all yeah. the different ways in which you get that pressure to conform to an idea yeah. of femininity or masculinity, depending on what it says on your birth certificate. Yeah. This will make sense once I get through it, but I kind of wish that I had been like old enough to be conscious when Britney Spears shaved her head, <laughs> because I, I, I think the most powerful, like, hair thing one of the most powerful things I've ever done for myself was Mm -hmm. when I shaved my head like a year and a half ago and it's just like this sense of I'd cut my hair my senior year of high school right before it and I'd kind of gone through like periods of letting it go out and having a more feminine style and then cutting it again Mm -hmm. but shaving my head was just I've always had that thing with my hair because my mother wants to do it all the color guard moms wanted to do it. All the dance moms wanted to do it. And so, like, shaving it was just like, okay, nobody can touch it anymore. Yeah. After having shaved your head, can you do you can you remember any specific instances where people treated you differently than they did when your hair was not shaved? Yes. So I didn't tell my parents that I was going to do it or that I had done it after I did it. And so when I it was it was like. A month later, I went home after finals and surprised them with that. <laughs> um, and they were they they do this thing where they're like fine with it. Like you make a decision and they're fine with it. And mm-hmm. then 
like a week or so or just a few days later they'll be like why'd you do that <laughs> and me and my me and my mom got into this huge fight about like it not looking professional mm-hmm. she was like you look like a cancer patient i was like i don't yeah but go off i guess yeah but we just got into a huge fight about it and then for like months afterwards anytime i was like mm, i need a haircut she would be like, don't shave it again. Oh, goodness. Yeah. No, I had the a similar experience when I shaved my head. Like, the response that I usually got from people was either positive. Yeah. And it was usually other women telling me that they wish they could do that. Yeah. Or Oh, yeah. I got a lot of that. Uh, but when I got negative responses from people, it was always attributed to professionalism. Yeah. So they would be like, well, do you think you're going to be able to get a job with your head shaved? And the whole time I would just look at people and be like, you would never say that if a man shaved his yeah. head. Yeah. Like you would never, ever say, do you think you can get a job with a shaved yeah. head? Because men can do that. So why is it not OK? Why is not being feminine in the way that I keep my hair somehow unprofessional? Yeah. Before we go, do you have anything else that that you want to say or anything that you wish that you'd known or a message for other folks who might be going through similar things that you'd like to share? Yes. If you are LGBT, queer, however you identify, and you live in the South and you're a little baby, (laughs) it'll be fine. You'll get through it. Find people that you like. Find people you trust. Find your allies. Don't feel pressure pressure to come out to your community or come out to your parents if you don't feel safe doing that. But also know that there are people that love you. Thank, Thank you. you. It was great talking Thank to you. you. Yeah, it was great Thank to talk y'all. to you, JK. Thank y'all for having me. <laughs> and sorry I was late again. That's okay. You got lost. It's a confusing Thank you all so much for listening to Bless Our Hearts. We're putting this podcast out in observance of LGBTQIA plus History Month. We'll be putting out new episodes throughout the month of October. So if you don't want to miss one, go ahead and subscribe. And if you want to learn more about queer resources in your area, you can do so by reaching out to your local pride organization. Or you can look up all kinds of information on equalityalabama.org. This podcast is brought to you by the Safe Zone Resource Center and the Center for Instructional Technology. The Safe Zone Resource Center is an LGBTQ plus resource center that provides educational outreach, community support programming, and crisis intervention resources for folks at UA. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so in a couple of different ways. You can email us at safezone at ua.edu, or you can reach out to us on social media. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at at UA Safe Zone. If you're a member of the University of Alabama community, and you're having some issues with Blackboard or any of those technologies that are plugged into Blackboard, you can get in touch with the Center for Instructional Technology. We're located in the very back of Gordon Palmer Hall, back in the Annex, in room A203. You can give us a call at 205-348-3532 or send us an email at cit at ua.edu.